Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. So we are continuing with our Healthy Relationship Series, Make a Real Connection, right? And we've done um, Healthy Me. We've looked at our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with God, and how that is fundamental to every other relationship in our life. CJ did such a good job uh, preaching that night. And last week, we looked at healthy friendships. Do you remember that? Neo did a great job talking about friendships and how important they actually are. And tonight, (laughs) I have the privilege of discussing healthy dating. Yeah, we'll see how this goes. Um, (laughs) So I want to um, make you aware of this author. His name is Eric Demeter, and he wrote a book called How Christians Should Date. It was printed last year in 2022. He was 33 when he wrote and published the book, and at that point he was still dating. (laughs) So he knows how Christians should date. And it's just a great book. There is so much practical advice in it, so many good suggestions, so many um, really great biblical uh, examples and stuff that he uses. And so I highly encourage you, whatever your streaming platform is, wherever you go to read, you will find his book. So write his name down. In fact, if you type his name into um, version, either on your computer or your phone, he's got a five-day devotion based on this book. So I highly encourage you from tonight's sermon to go there. But he says this. He says, Christian subculture is notorious for telling you there's one God-approved way to date. But that isn't true. Our culture invented dating, not God. But God doesn't leave us in limbo when it comes to relationships. God's word gives you a framework for finding a spouse not a formula. He is just as interested in who you become during the dating process as he is in who you will marry. I I hear some clicking, yes. Well done, Eric Demeter. (laughs) So get this book, read this book. If you are currently dating, wanting to date, looking for a spouse, this will be very helpful to you. And so, The point that he's making in this paragraph is that there simply is no singular biblical model for finding your future spouse. If you do find it, please come show me the Bible you're reading because I'm very interested. But God, as he says there, God doesn't, he gives us a, a, a framework, not a formula. Because there's our responsibility in this thing, right? There's what God is responsible for and there's, then there's what we are responsible for. And as I've said to you many times from this platform, um, when I'm frustrated with God, when I'm frustrated in my faith, I have lived long enough, I have been a Christian long enough, I have made enough mistakes to understand that when I feel that frustration in my faith, it's probably one of two things. Either I'm trying to be responsible for God's part, or I'm not being responsible for my own part. And that is the truth. So the first marriage we see in the Bible is when God gave Eve to Adam. Genesis 2 verse 20b to 23 says, But for Adam no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. 
Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. So, this is an arranged marriage. <laughs> Neither Adam or Eve had a say in who they were going to marry. <laughs> All Adam knew by this time is that being alone wasn't good and that he wanted another partner, right? Um, this is where God goes, gives Adam the task of naming all the animals, and whatever they were named, that was their name. And why did God do that? Because as Adam did that, he realized every animal had two, the male and the female. And then he started thinking, where's mine? <laughs> and first and foremost, the lesson in that is that God was saying, I will be your partner forever and ever. But it is not good for a man to be alone. So you're going to go to sleep for a moment, and when you wake up, woman! <laughs> and it literally is the only time in the history of the universe, anywhere in the Bible or in the history of the universe, that God gave a wife to somebody. For the rest of every man on this planet, you have to go find one. And we'll talk about that in a moment. And then... Often the story of Isaac and Rebekah is put forward as a pattern for dating or for courtship. But let's look at what's really going on in that story. So Abraham calls his faithful servant, the eldest servant in his house, and he says to him, go and find a wife for my son. Now at this time, Isaac was around 40. And Abraham decided it's time for him to have a wife. And he calls his servant, and there's a whole lot of putting hands under thighs and all kinds of things, Old Testament cultural stuff. Um, and they, he swears a vow that he will go to, the, to Abraham's home, to Haran, where Abraham came from, and he will find a suitable partner for the firstborn son, the heir, Isaac, and bring him back. And Abraham makes him swear that he will not let Isaac marry a woman from Canaan, because they were awful. <laughs> That's his words, not mine. Um, but it must be from the homeland. And um, there's this interesting discussion where it says, but what if she doesn't want to come? Should I take Isaac there? And Abraham says, by no means shall you take him home. But then an interesting thing happen, happens, and Abraham says to him, if she will not come, don't force her. And if she will not come, you are absolved from this vow. Think about that. Agency, right? It's not a biblical pattern to force anybody to marry you. It's by mutual assent because it's a human reality. You get married because you want to. So that is a very important part of the story. But... Um, the servant goes off, he takes 10 camels with him, that becomes important in a moment. And this is the servant, he arrives in Haran, and um, he, he, he says to the Lord, okay, who is this woman? And he prays to the Lord, and he says, O oh Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels, let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. 
And so he's asking God for a sign, right? But what I found really interesting as I was observing the story is that it's a very specific sign. I was reminded of Gideon and, and the, the, the fleeces that he puts before the Lord, which we shouldn't do. It's not an example of what we should do. The problem was Gideon didn't have faith <laughs> and he didn't want to do the task. But Gideon, remember, he asked for two signs and then the Lord said, that's enough. And the one was, it's in the morning when the dew comes, the fleece will be dry. The next one was, in the, morning, in the morning when the dew comes, only the fleece will be wet. They had nothing to do with Gideon's um, situation, right? There was no symbolism into what was actually going on. He just didn't really want to do the job and he didn't have faith. But what I found so interesting thinking about this is that there's a very practical thing happening here. He's asking God to show him a woman with character. There's a little bit of a test happening here. And in my heart, when I look and when I read his words, I'm thinking he's imagining he's going to have to ask 15 young women before one of them does it. And the reason for that, Pastor Simon explained this morning, um, again, go listen to all the podcasts for all the speakers that are in this series because you're going to get a fuller picture. And Pastor Simon said this morning that apparently one camel can drink 200 liters in three minutes, and then it won't drink again for a week. So he had 10 camels. How many liters of water is that? 2,000, right, if my maths is correct. So there's a test going on here. And what he's really asking God is when this woman says yes to me and then by her own accord says, I will water your camels, That is a woman of character, right? So he prays this prayer, and immediately, here comes Rebecca. And the text says that she is attractive in appearance. She is a maiden, she is a virgin, and she's eligible for marriage. And attraction is important. Let's just be honest. It really is. In fact, God gave you your sex drive so you would would be attracted to somebody. Or some people, right? And then you would make the choice. (laughs) It's God's idea, Lyrico. It is God's idea. And so you have a sex drive so that you will find somebody you are attracted to. And that is also important. So we don't force anybody to get married. And you should get married to somebody you like. That does the things, all the things. Not just one or two things, all the things. I will tell you the sad, tragic truth, young people out there who think that you're going to have all the sex you want when you get married, is that what happens in marriage is that sexual desire wanes. It waxes and wanes, right? And after a while, it becomes not the most important thing. I can see Lareko's disagreeing. But (laughs) the point I'm trying to make is it's not the focus of marriage, but it is very important that it's there. And it should be in every interaction. My, I was doing a, a marriage and family counseling course, and the, the, we had this old dude as a lecturer. He's just lots of fun, really witty. And him and his wife are also both pastors, and they've pastored churches and preachers. And he said this shocking thing, and I could only imagine some of the people in my course's faces. And he said, my wife loves to say we, have sex, we love having sex in public. <laughs> <laughs> But what he was trying to teach us was is that when you are romantic with somebody, when you're loving somebody, um, sex isn't just about the physical act. It's about honoring your partner. It's about seeing the wonder in your partner. It's about seeing how witty they are, how beautiful they are, how they conduct themselves when they're in company, how they conduct themselves (laughs) 
when, when they're in social settings. And I thought that was such a beautiful thing, that, that sex is the whole relationship. And then it, the intimacy culminates because you've got real intimacy, right? So attraction is important. And Rebecca was a beautiful young woman. And the servant asks her for water. He gives her his test. And, when, and she gives him, she drops her jar, the jar she's just taken out to take back to her family. She drops it and she lets him drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels, all 10 of them, 2,000 liters, until they have finished drinking. <laughs> it took a long time. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she draw, drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. And so again, Rebecca is showing her character here. She is showing kindness. She is showing consideration. She is showing diligence. She is showing hard work. And so he asked for a sign, but he asked for a sign of her character. And that's my challenge to you, young people. This is where we super spiritualize dating. God, give me a wife. Give me a husband. And the sign shall be what? Is it, is it their character? Because if it's not their character, you will see that sign everywhere. But you will have no idea what you're actually looking for. And you will find the sign and you will follow the sign and you will get the sign and then you will understand. For good or bad. <laughs> and so character, the theme that's, that's undergirding this entire sermon series is core values. What are your core values? What is the person you're interested in core values? Because if all you're attracted to is outward appearance or fortune and fame or the thing you think you need in your life to fix you, if that's all you're attracted to, that's all you're going to get. And it's going to be a long slog. So when you ask for a sign, make sure you're asking for character. And let me help you on this as well. I once had somebody come to me as a prophetic person and say, this is what they said. They said, I've been dating this man for six months and I want to know if he's a good man. <laughs> and I looked at them. And I just said, yeah, yeah, that was it. I said, are you expecting me to prophesy to his character? And, an, and a holy anger came on me. <laughs> and what I said to them is, I'm so sorry, you telling me you dated him for six months and you don't know if he's a good man. I need to ask you some questions. What is going on? What conversations are you having? What are you telling him and what is he telling you? If you don't know somebody's character after six months, the answer is, hell no. Simple as that. But why are you outsourcing it to me? Because now I must do what? Give you a sign. So, if you're going to ask for a sign, it better be character. And so he could see her core values in what she was doing here. That she valued people that she valued making a difference. This also speaks, I think, to nurturing, right? She's gonna be a good mom. Sadly, she was barren. 
And that was one of the issues in their marriage. And Isaac had to pray. And when he prayed, she had twin boys. Jacob and Esau. Esau and Jacob in that order. She has no other children. And so, after this, a whole lot of, really, a whole lot of gold is exchanged. <laughs> we discover that Rebecca is actually Isaac's second cousin. <laughs> That's the truth. She is his second cousin. She's most probably, possibly as much as 24 years younger than him. <laughs> so yes, they kept it in the family. And after this, she decides, yes, she's going to go. He says to her, you don't have to come. Will you come? She says, yes, I'm willing to go. And she goes. And we jump forward to verse 60. Two, and it says this, And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes, and he saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. And she said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Beautiful little ending for that part of the story. So can you see this is an arranged marriage as well? There's no dating here. There's no courtship. In fact, um, she gets off her camel. The servant tells Isaac everything that was done. And then Isaac takes her into his mother's tent, and he took her. <laughs> that is biblical euphemism for sex. She got off a camel, she had sex, and she was married. No courtship whatsoever. There's no discussions about their core values, no discussion about dating, because that was their culture. Do you understand the points I'm trying to make? And so we see some beautiful, um, some beautiful, uh, oh Lord, what's the word I'm looking for? Ideas coming out of this picture, praying to the Lord, asking the Lord for wisdom, absolutely. We see that, we see them, we see her thinking through her options. She has an option, she doesn't have to say yes. Um, we see him love her, <laughs> that he loves her, and there's proof of that in the story. There are big problems in their marriage, we'll talk about that in a minute. But this is not a formula of how to find a wife. The best thing out of the story, and it really struck me, because what we forget is that Abraham is neither Jewish nor Christian. Think about that for a minute. The law has not yet come. He is not a Jew. God has made covenant with him and promised him stuff. Isaac is the first fruits of that. And so they do some shocking things that we think is crazy, but we think he's a Christian, or at least a Jew. He's not. To my surprise, because I kept asking that question, why, does, why are the Canaanites awful, but the pagans back home are fine? <laughs> because that is what they are. Rebecca is a pagan. She, there's no mention of her praising God or praying at all. Interestingly enough, her family bless her in God's name, and um, her father says the, the name of God. So there's an interesting thing there. Has, has Abraham's faith begun to affect his immediate family? But she's not a good Christian girl. She's a good Haranite, <laughs> doing what her culture requires of her to do. 
you get where I'm going with this? So yes, there is a concept of inviting God into the midst of that. And Pastor Simon talks a bit more about that. But what I want to say about it is that every single thing in our life should include God, should involve God. If we're going to do something, it should involve God. What's the point of doing anything if it doesn't? But the mistake that I see over and over that I've made, that I've watched people make, is when we make God responsible. He should be in it. But we are responsible. You see, what happens later in the story is really tragic. At one point, Isaac follows in his father's footsteps and he puts Rebekah into a harem to protect his own life. What is that? He gives her to another man pretending that she's his sister. Then there's this really interesting and quite beautiful moment where the king he gives it to looks out the window one evening and sees the two of them obviously engaging in some kind of sexual intimacy, laughing together. And that's how he realizes they're married. And he he says, how are you going to call the wrath of God on me? So this interesting thing where there was some good moments in their marriage. But again, like I said, barrenness, that's a tough thing to bear in marriage. It really is. And can you imagine in that culture where that was so important? And so there were were problems. The next problem that come is when when the twins grow up a little bit and Esau takes two Hittite wives, the Canaanites, around them. And all it says is that these two women brought incredible bitterness to the family. And so there's a bunch of stuff that happens. And then we come to Genesis 27 Six, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Do you know the story? Esau is the firstborn and Abraham is getting ready and he says to Esau, you go kill some goat, you go kill some wild animal, you bring it to me and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to pass on my inheritance to you. And what happens? We see Rebecca start manipulating and conniving. We see her showing favoritism to the younger of her two twin boys. That's not a happy marriage. She's literally lying, cheating, and conniving against Abraham to have her favorite put up, right? That's not a good marriage. And so what I get from the story is there's all this prayer in the beginning. There's this asking for a sign. There's the sign being given, the sign of character, that Rebecca is a good woman, that she's the right person to bring into Abraham's family and culture, We see all of that. We see them consummating the marriage, and he loves her. But at the end, we see a marriage without intimacy, with anger and and separation. And what that's telling me is that marriage, dating, finding your spouse is a human reality. It's not God's responsibility. I believe God made men and women... (laughs) And his job was done. He gave each a sex drive. His job was done. Because that is all that is required to get married and make babies, right? And yet, we put it back on God. You will do. You must give. You provide. When God is gone, no, I've done my part. Your part is go find each other. Go and figure it out. And what I take from the story is, is that we can pray as much as we want. We can do everything right. But marriage is hard work. And it requires constant effort. And if we won't do the work, if we won't figure out how to be married, it will become bad. 
And if you look at, this, at the marriages in the Old Testament especially, <laughs> they are not good. David, we love David. He's a man after God's own heart. He's a friend of God. Amazing. Every one of his, the ways he got his wife was just straight up whack. Go and read it. <laughs> the last, one of the last things we hear about David is they're putting virgins in his bed at, while he's like a bit senile in the 80s to keep him warm. <laughs> I mean, it would, I suppose. But <laughs> so, what, when we read about marriage, especially in the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament, the New Testament gives a lot more practical advice. There's actually a lot more discussion in the New Testament about what Christian marriage should be and what it might look like. But even there, it doesn't give us clear formulas. And part of why this series is called Healthy Relationships is exactly what I've just said to you. You can pray as much as you want. You can read your Bible as much as you want. If you don't do the work, the human part of marriage will not succeed. I think, what did I write here? I think I wrote down something quite good. Where has it gone? It's all about how ma- we are, it's, 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 it's about humans. Humans involve themselves in relationships, and humans are the reason it will succeed or fail. Not God. I remember I'm a marriage officer, and... Um, my very first wedding that I was asked to officiate was like very like nerve-wracking and serious and I practiced hard and I did all the things. I'm also prophetic. And this couple I was marrying, they opted to do their own vows, which was really beautiful, and they wrote these really beautiful vows, two beautiful Christian people. And so when they came up to do their vows to read it, and I handed the mic over, as she started making her vows to him, I had this prophetic experience, which I don't have a lot of in that way. And the next thing, the Lord was seated behind me on a judge bench. And he was writing down every vow she made. And he did his turn and God was writing down. And, and as they finished, he beat that gavel. And I went cold. <laughs> and what I realized in that moment is that nobody forces you to get married. You know, Christianity is one of the few religions in the world where you you don't have to be married to be a leader to get into heaven. There are certain world religions where if you're not married, you won't go to heaven. There's There's no mention of that at all anywhere in the Bible. In the Old Testament, they believed children were the way they would live eternally because there's no guarantee of eternal life in the Old Testament. There isn't. Jews don't believe in an afterlife the way that we do because it's not taught there. Jesus is the doorway to our eternal life, right? So in the Old Testament, not having children meant your lion was gonna die out, and that was the worst possible thing that could happen, but it's purely physical, right? But even in Christianity, not having children is not, is nothing. You understand, it's, there's, you're not excluded from anything in the kingdom. And so the point I'm trying to make is, is that we choose to be married. It's what human beings do. And we choose who we marry. And like that couple, they chose the vows they wrote. But when they said them, they are now invowed to those vows. God wrote them down. I think one of it was, I, I vow to bring you coffee every morning. Well, he better do it. 
Because when he stops, God's going to ask him some questions because he's, being faith, he's not being faithful to the vow he made. And God takes that seriously. And so God does not force you to get married. There are no wedding vows in the Bible. Jesus instituted marriage, but it's up to us. What do we vow? We bring vows that are biblically based, but nowhere in the Bible are they written down. Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you getting this is human? Another reason it's human is because it's only ratified in the human realm. When the Pharisees come with that nonsense story, maybe it wasn't the Pharisees, you can help me about the idiots who brought the question, and they tell Jesus that story about there was a woman, and she was the Sadducees, and she was married to the older brother, and he died, and then she was married, and she gets married to all seven brothers. I don't know what was going on in that family. She should have, like, just cut it by number three and found another one. Um, and then they say to him, who is she married to? And Jesus says, what a stupid question, basically. He says it a little nicer, but literally, what a stupid question. Because don't you know that it is written? There is no marriage in heaven. Why? When somebody dies, they can get remarried. What is that telling us? It's dissolved in the earthly realm and in the spiritual realm. We all get married to Jesus. <laughs> so, Dating, courtship, romance, marriage is absolutely a function of the human realm. God wants to be involved. God wants to help. The more we include and invite God in and in every practical thing, the better it will be. But it is for us to figure out what a healthy relationship looks like. And the more... We consider God in every decision, in our thoughts and feelings and attitudes and choices, the more we will know who he is and who he says we are, and the more wisdom and insight we will have to make these choices from. And so as I said, relationships are human. Yeah, we go. They are entered into by humans, conducted by humans, and humans are responsible for their success or their failure. Now, let's get to the nitty. Young men. <laughs> Proverbs 18, verse 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So there are two beautiful conditions in this pro pro proverb. Finding a good thing and obtaining favor from the Lord. But what do you have to do to find the good thing? It's not a trick question. You have to find a wife. Ladies, you have to find a husband. I think this works for men as well. We're also, they're also, it's a good thing to have a husband, and you get favor from the Lord. Now, can you see that in the scripture, it does not say he who longs for or hopes for or wants a wife. Does it say that? What is it? He who? Does it say he who prays for a wife? Are some of you understanding why you're still single? <laughs> Stop praying for one and get your core values in shape. Go listen to CJ's sermon, sort yourself out. Prayer is powerful. And praying for wife isn't a bad thing. But if that's all you're doing, you're missing the point. In, when you start praying for a wife or a husband, spend exactly 30 seconds doing that. Then spend 30 minutes praying for yourself. What is going on with me? Where am I addicted? Where have I got all kinds of brokenness and hang-ups and weirdness? Where do I need more of Jesus' lordship in my life? How is my anger? What's happening with my debt? 
How am I dealing with my family? So start praying for your wife or your husband, 30 seconds. Then you're done. Then start praying for yourself. You will be amazed at what starts happening. Okay? So I'm really hammering the point home. To find in English means to come upon by searching or effort. Searching or effort. To discover by study or experiment. Dating is a bit of an experiment, right? You're not sure exactly if this person is going to fit. You're not sure if you're even going to like this person. But how are you going to find if you don't study an experiment? Finding is to obtain by effort or management. God, I'm tired. I can't anymore. Just bring him. (laughs) Bring her, Lord. Crickets. I am a very big fan of praying prayers God can answer. Because I have been very troubled by praying prayers God couldn't answer, and then I thought he didn't love me, and he didn't like me, and he wasn't answering my prayers. And in the meantime, he was saying, I'm not a magician, Greg. I am your God. I am your Father. I am the lover of your soul who wants to help you. So praise things I can actually get involved in. God is not going to force Rebecca to marry Isaac. It just isn't going to happen. And so this is why we're talking about healthy dating. What are you going to do? You're not going to stop longing. You're going to stop hoping. You're going to stop wanting. You're going to pray for 30 seconds for the other person, and then you're going to pray for yourself, and you're going to get out there and do the work, right? Okay, we've got some fun things happening now as Zealus and Busi come up, and they're going to do a skit. Yeah, let's give them a hand. They are superstars in their own right professional actors, all of them. (laughs) And we're going to look at a first date for Gen Zs. We're going to look at an unhealthy one, and then we're going to look at a healthy one. So I'm going to hand over to them. Um, I am so sorry about what happened earlier. I, look, I thought that opening the door would have been a, a big gesture. I thought it was going to be a big gesture. I'm so sorry. It's okay. That. It's not like chivalry still exists anyway. Ooh. Hey, like, um, I overheard you talk at the bonfire the other night with your boys, talking about settling down. What are your intentions about me? Um, <laughs> intentions? Yes. It's very early for intentions. <laughs> um... Yes, you're right. You know what? Um, we were chatting. We had a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, we're here because I just want to get to know you a little bit better. Well, are you trying to get married? Because I am. Oh, yes, 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 I am. Uh, in, in actual fact, God made me dream about this moment. Oh, yeah, oh. God, God spoke to me. There's a way that God speaks to me about like relationships and dating. Oh. Uh, and he confirmed that we'd be sitting here. You'd be sitting that side. 
I'd be sitting here. But in the dream, we were praying. So I'm not sure what's happening now because we're not praying. But you know, it's okay. Uh, a dream is a dream. A confirmation is a confirmation. But you can tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me, tell me about oh, yourself. Oh, well, you know, I'm a chartered accountant. I like to party. I'm a pirate. You know, all that stuff. She's a party. A para. Is it a parasite? <laughs> is it P for prayer or P for... Party? No, it's yeah. not working out. No, okay. Yes, I also love to read articles. <laughs> oh, you, you like reading articles? Yes. Do you, do you like reading the Bible? Of course, of course. Oh, you like reading the Bible. Okay, I think that's great. I think, um, you know, we, we definitely need to pray. Uh, I think we need to pray. I think there's a lot of fasting that needs to be done. But this is great, don't you think? It was, yeah. it was great, eh? Yes, it yes, of course. It was great. Thank you so much for coming. I think it was, re it was really awesome. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. I think um, it was uh, nice. Do we... It, I do, Okay, it's fine, it's okay. See you soon. I'll see you soon. Okay, I'll chat to you later, okay? Bye. All right, okay, bye. Three weeks later. Hey, um, I really thought we were vibing the other night, you know? Um, I thought we'd meet up again. You said, see you soon. And I keep seeing you at church, but... You keep avoiding me. Um, uh, text me if you see this. I would really maybe like another date. Oh. Ew. Okay. <laughs> um, Toby's thinking about me. No, but Lord, she doesn't pray. She's a para. She, she parties. She doesn't pray. You know? She's not Christian enough, Lord. She's not Christian enough. Nope, Jesus, I can't do this. I can't do this. Nope. Ghost. Oh. <laughs> do you know what? It's fine. The Holy Spirit gave me a sign anyway. From the moment, you couldn't even open the door. So you know what? I knew you weren't the one. The end. And with this blessing, go out and bless others. Meanwhile, in the foyer, a guy asks a girl out for an ice cream date. Wait, wait. Let me get that for you. Thank you. Wow. I didn't expect for gentlemen see to still exist in this day and age. Well, I am a gentleman. <laughs> okay. A gentleman is right in front of you. <laughs> I think that was a confirmation, right? Of course. Right? Awesome. But you know what? Let me, let me be honest. I, I didn't think you'd come to this date. I didn't think you were going to come to the date. Why so? Um, yeah, while, while you're sipping on that nice coffee, <laughs> that's really great. A lot of, a lot of the ladies that um, I guess that I know would say that, look, um, a coffee on ice cream date is too... It, it's too boring, man. It's not sophisticated. No. Yes, I should have taken you to saints and not like to like <laughs> motherland. <laughs> oh, wow. You know what? I don't really blame them for their preferences. I mean, every single lady has their own. But, um, you know, I really think first dates should be more about finding out about one another. You know, it's really not that difficult. So an ice cream date or maybe a coffee, especially mm. in the winter. But, guys, it's ideal to have like an ice cream in this heat. Is more chilled it's nice you don't gotta think about it too much but yeah. since you are speak on the topic of preferences okay what are yours 
Okay. Look, I'm a, I'm a fancy guy. Okay. Yeah. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a fancy guy. Okay. But I do like the simple things. Oh, I, right. Yeah, I really do like the simple things. I'm currently exploring some dating. Oh, nice. I, I feel like Dora the Explorer <laughs> right now. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think it's going well based on what's happening here, you know. But I do like, I do like the simple things, you know, because um, I love spending time with my daughter um, and having ice cream with her. He has a daughter, a child. I didn't think I'd be on a date with a man who has a child. Lord, what? Calm my temperament. Oh, wow. A daughter? Yes, a daughter. <laughs> wow. Um, how old is she? She's six years old, eh? Like, she's a beautiful six-year-old ballerina. <laughs> oh, wow, you speak so sweetly about her. Her mom, um, is she around? Uh, yeah. So, unfortunately, uh, her mom and I didn't work. Oh. Yeah. So, um, that was quite a tough relationship that I was in. Oh. My, my confidence was, um, it took a knock. Sure. Um, I was told that I wasn't man enough. So everything that I did to, to receive love or to give love just wasn't, it wasn't worthy or it, it, she thought that it wasn't enough, oh. you know. So I felt like I wasn't man enough. So I, have, I hadn't been going on dates for a while. Oh. Um, and this is also me saying, you know, I, I know that there's some hope, you know. Oh, so, wow. yeah, that's why, you know, that happened. But what is good is that we're co-parenting together. Oh, good. Which I think is really good. We may not have worked out together, but um, for our daughter, things are working out well. Nice. But, I mean, yeah. since you're exploring the dating scene, I really do hope you don't have any baby mama drama, do you? <laughs> uh, nope. We don't have any baby mama drama. Sure. Yeah. Thank no God. baby mama drama. I'm not an actor, actor, so I don't even think that will exist. But Sheesh. tell me, do you have any drama? <laughs> oh, well, lights, camera, action, baby. Do we need a camera? <laughs> oh, no. Okay. I'm joking. I'm joking. Hey, I mean, you know, I've had my fair share of drama here and there with men. I mean, my first heartbreak was with my father who didn't really show up at one of my recitals and I was so hurt. Some would call it daddy issues, you know. And, um, yeah, my ex cheated on me. And uh, I find out on his, on his wedding day. Ooh. Yeah. His friends forgot to block me off of the social media. And, yeah, it was quite intense. So it's left quite a sour taste in my mouth about men. But thanks to Jesus, thanks to Connect, thanks to my community and, of course, therapy. I'm sitting here on a date with a man again. A man. <laughs> in daughter. <laughs> In daughter, and that's who I am. But look, I, I, I'm really sorry that you went through such an experience. I don't sure. think anyone is supposed to go through something like that. But you know what? I like you. I think you're funny. I think you're so cool. I really think you're so cool. I think this was really great. And I, and I really hope that I'm, you know, that I'm able to like, see you again. Who knows? Who knows? Yes? Is that a yes or is that a no? I mean, maybe you can settle the bill and I can settle the next one. I mean, look, I'd like to negotiate. That would be a good negotiation. Let me negotiate. Where's that receipt? Where's that receipt right here? I can start negotiating and covering these bills while the other men try and sort out their other Labola negotiations. Oh, wow. Does that work? <laughs> okay, yes, okay, indeed. Awesome. Thank you so much for being vulnerable with me. Um, I didn't think I'd be continuing a date with a man who has a child. I'll be honest. But thank you for your honesty. Um, maybe again, I'll settle... Our next bill on our next date. Ooh, I thought you'd never ask. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. The end. <laughs> Goodness. So, um, so in the unhealthy date, what, what were we seeing? We were seeing 
a lot of anxiety, a lot of just focusing on ourselves. Um, and in this generation, Instagram, you know, um, I remember trying to figure out how to turn a photo into a reel by turning it into a video, right? And then some awesome Gen Zers around me sent me these app options where you got filters that were actually videos. So you popped a picture and you know what I'm talking about. Like, I, 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 I'm astounded, you just, that's your life, right? <laughs> but the app they sent me um, was really interesting because there were, there were these filters with videos, but I'd say 80% of that app, it was like really a beauty app. And I was looking at these things going, what? Like you can make your ears smaller and your eyes bigger and you can shave your, <laughs> your butt down. And, and I was like, okay, this is, this is cool. But after a while I was like, oh my word, I couldn't leave the house. Nobody would know who I was. <laughs> like my avatar on Instagram wouldn't look like me at all, you know. And I just, when I was thinking about that, I was thinking, wow, the pressure on this generation to have to always be on, especially for young women. And, um, and I think that's the first thing that we saw in the unhealthy date is that you're so worried about impressing the other person, you forgot that you need to assess who they are, that this needs to be an honest engagement, not just worried about how I look or how I feel or what they think about me. And that's human, right? It is human. But that's not what a first date is about. And I remember talking to a young lady um, the last time we did a, the sex series. I think I had some young people and we were talking. And one of the young ladies, and this issue came up and we were talking about it. And she came to me a little later and she said, you know what? Um, when you were talking about that app, I was looking at my life and realizing that's what I want to do all the time. And so she made a decision. She, she made a decision. She, until the third date, she wasn't going to bring the blame. She looked totally good, she looked presentable, but she didn't do the lashes and the glitter <laughs> until the third date. Because then he's not blinded <laughs> and, she's, and she's not having to put all that effort in, right? And then worry about whether it's working or not. And she was saying she was enjoying the date so much more because she could just talk. And within that first date, she could see this is somebody I can talk to, this is somebody I would actually like to see again, or oh heck no. <laughs> And while I'm saying that, um, a successful date can also be deciding you're not going to go on a second one. <laughs> because it's not about your perfection or your identity. It's about we're auditioning each other. Is this somebody I like? We spoke about friendship last week. And the research proves that in romance, friendship is the binding factor. The more you enjoy time with your partner, the more you enjoy hanging out with each other, the more you appreciate their humor and their wit and their talent or whatever, the more you want to be with them. And then you can date for the rest of your life with one person. The other thing that we saw in the unhealthy date was super spiritualizing. Um, Eric Demeter in his book actually does a whole chapter and it's basically, I think it's called Making an Awkward Situation Weird. The Lord gave me a dream about you. <laughs> In that dream, I saw us on this date and we were praying as we clasped hands and tears rolled down our eyes. That's just making awkward stuff weird. I cannot tell you how many times I've had a young woman come to me and say, uh, so-and-so approached me in the foyer and the Lord told them I must marry him. Remember the very first thing we spoke about in Isaac and Rebecca. Abraham said, if she doesn't want to come, you leave her alone. 
until God speaks to two people, it's not God speaking. And what Eric Demeter says in his book, and, and he should know because he was, he's also tells the stories about when he made an awkward situation weird by super spiritualizing. And he said, what's really going on there is we're trying to hide behind God. And when we're dating, when we're in having an honest discussion with people, and honesty is the first value of dating, honesty. Show up as you are with who you are, right? Don't hide all the bad stuff. Don't only show the good stuff because you can't sustain that for a relationship. And he said, what's happening when we super spiritualize things is that we're not owning our own selves and our own feelings and our own thoughts. In church, it's a lot easier to say the Lord told me than to say, I like you. Or I've been noticing you and I love this about what you do or I really enjoy how you do that and I'd love to get to know you better. The more honest we are, the more human we are, the more simple we are the more honest we are going to be before the Lord. And then we do the other thing where the Lord told me this is bad and I should stop. No, just acknowledge maybe you're just scared. Maybe you're anxious. Maybe this is overwhelming. Learn how to say that to people. Part of the point of dating is to figure out how to be honest, to take a risk. And that's what we saw in the healthy date, right? Zealous, well, the guy, comes up with his six-year-old daughter quite early on. And that is important because we catch feelings, right? What you also have to understand about dating is that love is a choice. It's not a feeling. Attraction, zing, sexual attraction, all of that is the feeling, but love is a choice. And you can choose to love. You can also choose not to love. And the things that are permanent in your life, you have to get honest about. The devil loves to shame us. Society loves to shame us. But all of us come with stuff. Nobody is perfect. You're not perfect. Nobody is perfect. And so if, you, if a child is a red flag to you or it's something you've decided you cannot do, then both of you need to be honest about yeah. that. Rather put it out early and then you can shake hands and, and have a successful date where you don't have a second one. Absolutely. Absolutely. But if you're only bringing up the child, the prison sentence, I have stories of the fourth date. I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to make it. Oh, what's going on? No, I'm, I've been arrested. Like knew a year ago, went on four dates, didn't mention, like I'm going to jail for six years, right? Real people, real. You've got to mention those things. By the fourth, fifth date, somebody's feeling things. So be honest, appropriately so, right? Um, in this particular healthy date, and I like the way they did it, there was lots of fun. There was almost like a bit of accidental disclosure <laughs> around the daddy issues and stuff. You know, you don't want to bring that stuff up on the first date, but it should come up in, in early on. And the way she handled it, she was just honest. You know, I was hurt. It's a big thing when you find out your boyfriend's getting married on Instagram and you thought you were going for a fourth date. Like, that's something you should talk about. That's going to have an impact, right? The healthy date, there was fun. There was laughter. There was playfulness, right? And also, I, I was actually reading an article by an older lady, and she was just saying, you know, she's actually decided that she, she prefers dates where she comes back and she was like, well, that wasn't brilliant. <laughs> yeah. 
And what she was saying was the guy didn't work so hard to impress her that now she feels like when they go on the second date, they can just keep growing to know each other. And she was saying by the third date, that's when she's going to decide whether she wants to continue or not. Because he wasn't so impressive that, that now it feels like it's too much, right? So just being honest. The other values of dating, obviously God first should be the first value, then honesty. Because we are Christians, there's mutual honor, there's mutual respect, there's a respect for purity. There's a respect of valuing each other enough not to force each other or draw each other into unchristian situations. And so guys, this is one sermon. We can't do the whole thing. We can't fix dating <laughs> in one sermon. But hopefully this inspired you. I, I want to say this to you. This whole finding a wife thing is so important to me. You know, Gen Z is, is having the least sex of any generation at, at, at their age. <laughs> Did you know that? Yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing. So there's, it's a little complicated because there's a whole lot of online stuff that's going on, right? But actual sex, like people in the 70s were having way more sex between the ages of 16 and 21 than is being reported in Gen Z. And what that's a little emblematic of is actual connection, right? Actually involving yourself with other people. And so one of the, the things that motivated this sermon and, and the things I wanted to say in the sermon was sometime last year, um, a lot of young people come for counseling and we talk about a lot of things, but dating apps come up and, and that's how we do it today. There's, you know, we, we make use of what's available and we, we bring God's principles to them. Um, but I remember standing in the foyer, because often I'm just praying for people and I don't make it into the foyer. But the one night I went into the foyer, and I was just having fun looking around, and suddenly I was like, they're on, they're on hinge, they're on hinge, they're on hinge, and they're on hinge. They're all looking for people. They know the other ones are looking for people. Here we are standing in a foyer. <laughs> Nobody's walking across the foyer to say, hey. And, and that's a little concerning to me. You know, just 10 years ago, if you put young men and women together in any room, if you went on a mission, if you did a, a volunteer thing, if you were doing the Christmas tree, or if you're just ushering even, I knew we were going to have a busy year of marriages coming up in about 12 months. And that isn't happening anymore. And so... It's your choice, and there's no forcing here, like I said. I'm single, right, at 52. But it is what people do, and we need to figure out how to do it, how to walk across the foyer and just say, hey, I saw you on Hinge. <laughs> I believe you like bicycle riding. Will you teach me? How's that for a first date? Yeah, I just gave you some lines there, people. Are you, are you getting what I'm saying? And again, it's, we're not, the, the point of the sermon isn't that you're going to find a partner and get married. But the point is that you're going to dream for your life. That you're going to be honest about what you're hoping for in your life. And marriage and family is a very godly thing. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and favor from God. And so I want to end with this and then we go, we'll go into some ministry time. And... Um, this is a, an SMS I wrote to a young lady earlier this year who uh, had to break up a bad relationship. 
She thought it was good, and then it wasn't. Love is valuing. Love equals valuing. You can gauge how much someone loves you by how much they value you. Do they value your uniqueness, your opinion, your feelings, your thoughts, your heart, your dreams, your passions, your favorite song, your favorite hobby, your favorite ice cream, your friends and your family and your pets? If they cannot or will not value you, when they say, I love you, what they really mean is I love you the way I want you to be. And if you won't be that way, I will try and make you be that way. And as soon as they try to do that to you, they have stopped valuing you. And that means that they cannot love you. They don't know how to love you because they don't know how to value you. Pastor Simon read that out this morning. And, I was, I, and as he did that, I was thinking, you know, whenever I hear that, I always think about the other person, right? But it cuts for me as well. Are you being valued? And are you valuing others? And if you can figure that out, it will tell you immediately. Because if you're sitting across the table from somebody you don't value, you don't love them. You're not really interested in them. Have a successful first date and don't go on a second one. But if you're sitting across the table and you realize somebody isn't valuing you, you don't work harder for that person. Your job is not to impress them or live up to their expectations. Your job is to be who God made you to be and to find somebody who loves you for who you are in your imperfection, in your struggles, in your unique beauty and value and wonder. Amen. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Father, we all struggle in this area, and we need you so much, Lord God. And if you're here tonight and you've been hurt by dating, if you're here tonight and you've just given up, if you're here tonight and you are longing for a life partner, for marriage and for family, but it just feels like it's eluding you, whatever, whatever's going on. If you've fallen sexually and you feel dirty and unclean, if whatever's going on in your heart tonight, you know what? Jesus is here and he sees you and he loves you and there is a new beginning in him tonight. Father God, we don't know how to do this, but we know you can help us. And God, we don't want to make it super spiritual. We don't want to make you responsible, but we're asking you tonight, honestly, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us to be more self-aware. Help us to deal with our own heart, Lord God. Help us to have courage, Lord God. Help us to be honest, Lord Jesus. Help us not to hide away, Lord God. And before we even want to be intimate with other people, God, we want to be intimate with you, Lord Jesus. Would you come and heal us and cleanse us? And where you are, I can just see that he's pouring out a cleansing flow right now. Just receive it. There's lies in your heart and your mind telling you you're not good enough, you don't have what it takes, you're dirty, it'll never happen for you right now. You put them aside, disagree with them right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Heal and cleanse. Heal and cleanse. Change our hearts and change our minds, Lord God. In Jesus' name.